how he have been in Africa. By the way, he is also helping a lot to build some churches in different places. And uh, he told me, I have been singing in Zimbabwe, in Swahili, and I say that's my language. So then he started to sing this song, and I joined him. And then uh, Sister, what's the name? Lorraine. She had with a couple of few people who were remaining. Many people were already left. So then she said, I have an idea. Why don't you guys sing when you come to speak? I say, I have no problem if you speak with Tom. So Tom is the reason of the song. <laughs> and he's the one who came with these Swahili books, like three of them from Africa. So thank you, Brother Tom. You are Swahili now. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to give thanks to the Lord for today's Sabbath again. As we are closing July month. You know, today is 29, and we will have no other Sabbath in the month of July. Every day count, every month count, and every year. And don't forget, we are coming to the end of this planet. Always when I speak, I remind people, we are almost going home. All the signs, when we see out there, that Jesus is spoken, they are fulfilling rapidly. So we are almost going home. So I want to thank the Lord for the congregation. And I want to thank Brother Ron the day I was telling him about that church. And uh, I believe the Spirit of God moved for you people, all of you, to agree to do that. The name of this village is Kidete. And there, that's the village where I grew up. Grew up as a Muslim. But then, knowing that this is the church of the living God. And the day people were crowded there, they were asked that question I told you. Why you didn't go somewhere else? And they said, we want if to this will be the end of the world. We want to be in this little church here. And that moved my heart. So one day I'm going to come back here for Thanksgiving and I will have the pictures. And hopefully that time, not hopefully, because that money will be enough to put the roof. It will be enough to put the roof. I'm going to bring those pictures so you see what you have put your hands to help in that small village of Kilete. Um, before we go to our sermon today, I want to make few remarks. Few remarks, and uh, without forgetting, the other family which was standing here, those are your church members, Brother Mazin and his wife. They are from Uganda, but as you know, Uganda, Kenya, and Tanzania, we speak Swahili half of Zimbabwe and half of Congo and when you go up there to Somalia some of them we use the same language Swahili so thank you for uh, so much uh, for joining us to sing here plus Elder Eskia he's my friend he's my brother from Tanzania on the same mountain if you go to the place where Malongozo was born he looked like those mountains you see back there Thank you so much for joining me. A uh, few remarks before we go to our sermon today. Uh, I need to remind myself and the people I speak to always for three things today. Every time I have something to say, but today I want to tell you that God is aware of what is happening in every individual. There is nothing hidden away from him. 
that is happening to me personally and to you. Whether it's negatively or positively, I need you to know. Because sometimes we feel like we are forgotten. And some people go a little far, he doesn't care. I want to remind myself and you today, God cares for what is happening. Your life and my life is like an open book before him. And he is in control. Secondly, we are all connected. There's no even a single day that we have been cut off from God. And how do I know this? The breath of life we take every minute, every second. Remember when Adam was created and he was just a statue. The Bible says God breathed in his nostrils and he became a living soul. So if you are breathing, remember, you are connected because that's the breath of life from God himself goes in and out. And because of that, remember, you can speak to God wherever you are and he's listening because you have his breath of life in you. Don't forget that. Um, our sermon today is talking about what Jesus sees when he looks at me. This can be a statement, but at the same time, it can be a question. Now, I didn't want to make this a question to you, though at the end of the sermon, I'm going to flip it to you. But now, I'm talking about me. When I knew that I'm coming here to speak, this is how I decided to dress, because I need you to see me like this. But we can choose to show people how we want them to see us. But there is no way we can choose or we can make a choice for God how he sees us because he don't see outside only. You who are looking at me now, you just see this. But you don't know me inside. You don't. And that's something that I have to know because there's nothing hidden from God about me. He looks at the deep secret chambers of my heart and he knows me by my name. Maybe not the name my parents gave me because when we get in heaven, we are going also to have no names. So... When we go to this uh, sermon today, I'm not talking about the negative side of what really Jesus sees me and you. But I want to speak about the value, how precious you and me, we are before him. What did he see before he decided to go to the cross for you and for me? Yes, we were ragged, broken, like my brother here in summer school. He said, where we have been before we came to Jesus. And when he said that, I just smiled to myself because I know my story. Now, he knew all those before he went to the cross. But what was the motive? What was the drive that pushed Jesus to go to the cross? There was something he saw. Not only for me and for you, but for the whole planet. And this is what I'm trying to bring to myself and to you today. 
Let's go quickly to the book of Mark, chapter 5. I'll invite you to the book of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5. And that's where we are going to begin our sermon today. Mark, chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1 down to verse 6. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man within with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us permission today again to come before your throne to worship you. As we join angels, seraphims and cherubims, Receive our worship today and allow your Holy Spirit to be within us so we may worship you in truth and in spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I wanted to share with you this uh, dramatic story about this man who was living in the tombs and when Jesus just landed with his disciples when they were also about to be lost in that Galilean sea, he came running because he was demon-possessed. And when the Bible explains, when Ellen G. White explains about the situation of this man, he was horrible in looking and in actions. But, the reason why I brought this story of this man is not really about him. It's about you and me. In this book of The Desire of Ages, page 239, 239, in the second paragraph, this is how it reads. The encounter with the demoniac of Gadorines had a lesson for the disciples. It should be depth of degradation to which Satan is seeking to drag a whole human race. And the mission of Christ to set men free from his power, those wretched beings dwelling in the place of graves, possessed by demons, in bondage to uncontrolled patience and loathsome lusts, represents what humanity would become if given up to satanic jurisdiction. The condition of our planet, if Jesus did not come, was planned by the devil himself to be like that man who was cutting himself, cutting chains, he was struck. He was not strong. The demons within him who controlled the will messed up his whole life. That's what the devil was planning to plunge this whole planet into such a situation. So when Jesus was in heaven, 
he saw that. He saw that. And when he was looking down, can you imagine the whole planet full of people who acting like this? Me and you. And the Bible says he was naked. No clothing. Bleeding everywhere because of those rocks he used to cut himself. That was our predicament. If Jesus had said, I don't want to go down there. I have nothing to do with that fallen planet. So I need you to see this as you and me. And this is what our Savior was looking at. Because remember, when the report got in heaven about the scene of Adam and Eve, all this scenario of what will be the result of sin came vividly to the eyes of our Redeemer. And Ellen G. White explains how angels were quiet. He was silent in heaven. What is he going to happen to that planet? Looking at the master, there was no answer. And then our Redeemer had to go into the face of his father, giving himself as a ransom. And uh, I believe in the book of confrontation. He say it happened three times. The first time, the glory of God covered his son and he didn't give the answer. Father, I need to go there for them. And when the glory of the father covered the son, the son left. And when he came out, the angel, they're like, do we have the solution? And he say, no. But I need to go back again to look at the face of my father because we have to get the answer. The second time, the glory of the father covered the son. Why is it so difficult? The angels were willing to come. And then Jesus had to explain there is no possibility for the angel to rescue that planet. The angels are scared if this master is going, is he really going to come back? Because it means the wrath of God who said the wage of sin is death have to turn around and crush his own son. So the third time when he went in, the father gave the answer. He said, ah, you and I will make a covenant. Because as you go, I will go with you. And I'll be your father. That's what you see Apostle Paul tried to explain in the book of Hebrews. He said, because you have loved righteousness, then I will give you the name higher than other names. The Father is confirming the agreement between two for the salvation of this planet. But I still come back to that question, what did he see? Because that's what I need to bring to you. We're called jewels. Now, you know, I'm from Africa, and good enough, I'm very close to Mount Kilimanjaro where we have those blue precious stones. We call them Tanzanite. If you go on your Google and you Google Tanzanite, you will see this is a precious stone which is found only in the land of Tanzania. It's so precious, more than gold. Now I'll tell you, one time when I was preaching in the very region that they're digging, I just wanted to go to visit the mines. And I saw people with their faces looking like monkeys. I said, what is happening to you? Say, man, Tanzanite. We go down there, say, can I go and check? They said, well, you can go, but don't go far. It's too far down there, don't go far. 
So they give me some stuff to dress, and I, I'm always curious to see some new stuff. And I went down, and when I looked at the risk people take to dig down there to get those precious stones, it came to my mind as a preacher. I say that's why Jesus is calling us jewels. He's the one who went down to the mine to dig us out. Because without him, we were lost. So, here we come. And what was really disturbing to Jesus for him to make that particular decision to come and tabernacle in humanity with us. After Adam and Eve sinned, we all know that the image of God was destroyed in humanity. What does this mean? The fashion of God's character was ruined by sin. And day after day, like what we saw from this person who was demon-possessed, there was no even a day that the devil was planning to bring this planet to a good condition. He was trying to plunge it down and down and down until everything is wrapped and finished. I will tell you, Brother Eskia knows about this. When we go to the villages where some people even today live with demons. And you're preaching. And you're saying Jesus saves. For those who need prayers, come. For those who are burdened, come. And one evening, it was in this particular village we call Handeni. I was with Brother Eskia. We're just opening the crusade for three weeks. So this day we are telling people that in three weeks here, we are going to accept the people who are burdened by the stuff they need to shake off. Before we close, I saw two young ladies coming, crying. And I was like, oh no. We're about to go home. And they said, you're not going home. One of them said, I have been living with demons for more than 10 years, and I'm tired of this. And what happened, he said, my grandma was a witch doctor, and he wanted to leave all the package with me when she was dying. And I had no choice. The whole family said, you have to do it, because this is a possession in our family. So she was pushed by force to accept the witchcraft of the grandma. But she didn't like it. Can you believe sometimes they just tell her, you need to go, you need to spend one month in the forest. We have some training for you. And she'll be there, raining, sun, in the day, heat in the night cold. She said, I'm tired, I need freedom. Our eyes were wide open. And we say, well, we said we brought Jesus here. Now this is the case here. I'll make it short that we had to pray first before we got into that. By midnight, from 6 o'clock to midnight, that's when she was set free. You know demons crying, even complaining, why are you doing this to us? We don't have anywhere to go. This is our possession. This is our chair. We have loved her. We have been with her for many years. We cannot go anywhere. And we said she have only needed the freedom and Jesus is going to give her freedom. Get out and go. And they said, no, we are not going. She got our possession. And we are like, girl, what do you have for them? He said, I have a little bag that my grandma gave me. He said, go home and bring it here. And when the bag was brought here, a lot of nasty stuff in the bag. 
Now, I would go a little far by saying this. There was also a lot of cosmetics. You know some stuff, ladies, you like to use to decorate yourself? There were a lot of them in that little bag. And I'm like, what about this? She said, yep, that's some of the stuff they gave me. So when I go somewhere, when they send me somewhere, I have to put on those stuff. I don't know how much far that can go. I don't know if it's all cosmetics, but I will tell you there were a lot of them in that little bag. Nail polish. We found them there. And when we kindled the fire and put every stuff on that fire, before we went back to pray for this young lady, the demons were leaving and she was set free. So, when I read this story of Jesus himself, I imagine about those people who I have seen, more than 10 cases of people who were demon-possessed. How they were acting, how strong they were. You know, one day, two church elders, they tried to do some to this young lady. It was like... 12 years old. They didn't pray before they got into that deliverance ministry. She was just looking at them, not prepared for that, and the demons knew it, and she just held them, one from this arm and the other one from this, and she lifted them up like this, like nothing. So when you picture something like that, you need to know there is power in the name of Jesus. Because I don't believe it was me, I don't believe it was Brother Eskia or other two preachers who uh, were together with us. I know we can do nothing without that name. And I'm telling you today, we don't know how much the power we have in Jesus until when we are encountered in that kind of situation. So, when Jesus was looking in this planet, the image of God destroyed, and the fashion of the character of God ruined by sin, he knew that there was no hope and there was nothing good could be expected from humans without help outside of humans. He knew that. If we need to see Fikiri again, there is power which needs to be inside Fikiri from outside Fikiri. If we don't do this, there is no way we can find anybody when we go down there. We know that from the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5, in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5. It was just not even 2,000 years after creation that God was compelled to clean up the planet because the situation was already worse. Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5. And this is how he reads. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is what God was looking when he was in heaven that if we take more time, we are going to find nobody down there. And this was the train that the devil had everyone in bo uh, in, uh, on board and moving in the light speed. If you count the years when the flood came, Noah was 600 years old. When you go back from Noah, I did this by myself, to get to the years of Adam, it was 1656 years when the flood came. Not even 2,000 years. 
the situation was already horrible and the Lord said, I have to clean up and start again. Jesus, when was in heaven, saw this and this compelled the Son of God that I will go. But what again? You will see that on your time in Jeremiah 13, 23. That Jeremiah explains the situation of the earth. Horrible. And because of that, still, it was not all. It was not all. He saw something good in you and in me. That when he comes, it will be accomplished. And I want to go a little further saying that when, before Jesus came, he saw potential of the human family that was hidden deep in the hearts that even angels of heaven could not see. He saw how much a human family can be transformed and one day look like Jesus himself. That's what he saw. And this amazing transformation that our Redeemer saw propelled him. Ellen G. White speaks that he decided if only one person will say yes to him, he will come and die for him. Just one. Just one person. He will come and he will give his life for that one soul. That soul could be you. One person. He cannot waste that one soul. Now we are sitting here, many. And Jesus looking at us, he still sees that in us. He don't look at us as sinners, though we are sinners. He don't look at us as horrible, demon-possessed creatures. You know, one of the things I have seen with my own eyes sometimes terrifies me in the very village I'm telling you where we're building that church surrounded by a couple ranges of mountains I tell you those are Muslims you have Roman Catholics you have Anglicans and all other kind of Christianity but in the night the whole village sometimes because they have their feasts. Remember, these people have couple tribes. We have like 152 tribes in uh, Tanzania. So there we have Gogo, we have Luguru, and Kaguru. And all these people, they are very superstitious. They will go to church, but when they come out of the church, you see all of them join together, Muslims and Christians, and they go to practice their idol worship, their ancestral worship on the mountains, beating drums the whole night. You just hear boom, 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 until the morning. I heard that with my own ears. And one time when I was little, hey, guess what? I joined, even without knowing, we were eating the food which was already given sacrifice to the idols on the mountains. And some strange stuff happened on the mountain. Superstition. When we were all doing that, I didn't know Jesus saw some potential within me. When we were all practicing all those stuff, he saw it. And he decided to come. That amazing transformation that Jesus saw. 
made him to agree to be our sacrifice to the human race. And he knew that when we accept him, we are going to be seen before his father, worshiping him through eternity. So Jesus came to restore in man the image of his maker, none, remember, none but Christ can fashion anew the character that has been ruined by sin. He came to expel those demons that has controlled our will. When we sin, if is not the spirit of God, it means there is another spirit which is controlling us, whether we like it or not. And because of that, is only the power of Jesus that can come in and cleanse us. You know, in, 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 in uh, lesson discussion, when we were talking about forgiveness, let me tell you, Sometimes it's so difficult to forgive and to forget someone who did you wrong. Sometimes you think it was done on purpose. Myself, I'm going through that. It's only the Spirit of God that when He comes in, and control us, we can forgive someone who does not deserve to be forgiven. I'm telling you, as you are sitting there, you see me coming to you and slap on your face, and after that I say, oh, I'm sorry. And you say, oh, that's okay, Brother Fikiri. It's not from humanity. Do you know sometimes how we feel good when we watch movies and always when we watch movies we already have taken sides. There's a side we like and there's a side we don't like. And when we see the side we like is winning, we feel good. That's humanity. If I come today and I step on your toe and you see someone from another side coming and slap me, you feel good. Oh, he got what he deserves. That's humanity. So we need to know, by which I'm going to the closing now, how to open our hearts to allow that power of Jesus, the same power which pushed him to go to the cross for you and for me. We need to allow that power to come in. Remember, we are the church of the living God and Jesus has already planned that he is going to flip this planet upside down by using the message from heaven through you to the world. That vessel should be really special and that vessel should realize the position it holds in the eyes of God before we can be sent out to do that. There is a reason why we are called the people or the family of God. It's because in that family there is an agenda. The agenda of salvation which is put on our shoulders to go and to bring about the results that Jesus intended when he went to the cross. So our hearts must be open to receive that gift that Jesus is offering to us. If we don't open, how do you think he is going to expel the stuff he sees inside that is hindering our Christianity to move forward? So, how did he do it? How did he do it? First of all, there is an experiment that Jesus is doing on human hearts. He is doing to everybody. There is an experiment. All of you here, you know, if you go and you are going to be hired 
maybe to operate an equipment. They will have to put you in experiment to believe they can trust you before you operate the machine. So Jesus Christ is doing an experiment to the human hearts. He already knows what you can become if you accept him. And he's giving this freely. This is what is going to be our closing, that the Lord Jesus is making experiments on human hearts. This is the faith I live by. But the quotation is taken from Christ's uh, testimonies to ministers. Page 18. The Lord Jesus is making experiments on human hearts through the exhibition exhibition of his mercy and abundant grace. He is effecting transformation so amazing that Satan, with all his triumphant boasting, with all his confederates of evil united against God and the laws of his government, stands viewing them as a fortress impregnable to his sophistries and delusions. Jesus is going to make some tools that when the devil looking at you, he don't see anywhere he can get into you and bring you down. They are to him an incomprehensible mystery. The angels of God, listen that carefully, the angels of God, seraphim and cherubim, the powers commissioned to cooperate with human agencies look on with astonishment and joy that fallen men, once children of wrath, are through the training of Christ developing characters after the divine similitude to be sons and daughters of God to act an important part in the occupations and pleasures of heaven. We are going to preach in this planet, but we don't know what occupation we are going to have when we get up there. We don't know. Only Jesus knows. But he is telling me, even the angels, when they look at that, seraphim and cherubim, they were confused like him. Jesus can change these rugged human beings to, be, to look like this. And let me tell you, this makes me feel good. And I want to make one small point before I, fo I go forward here. You know how, time, how sometimes even in our family members, they look at you like somehow down there. You are nothing. Yeah, sometimes we go through that. They look at you that you're nothing. Cheap commodity. That's not how Jesus sees you. If one day angels will be amazed to look at me and to look at you, we need to feel good about this message of salvation. So secondly, what is he doing he is creating enmity, enmity between humans and sin. Let me tell you the truth that when God was telling serpent in the garden that day that I'm going to create enmity, enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, that was something incredible he did because, again, after the fall, Human beings gravitate to sin quickly more than gravitate to divine things. We love sin. And most of the time, he looked good. And it's God who said, uh -uh 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 -uh. I'm going to create something within this. So Jesus Christ, when he came to the cross, even when people were giving sacrifices through animals, Jesus was trying to show them the sinfulness of sin. This stuff is horrible. I need you to hate it. And this is what he says. 
they were purified. After we know how bad sin is, we will like to be pure. They were purified in the furnace of affliction. For Jesus' sake, they endured opposition, hatred, calmly. They followed him through conflict so they endured self-denial and experienced bitter disappointment. By their own painful experience, they they learned the evil of sin, its power, its guilt, its woe, and they look upon it with abhorrence. Jesus wants you, when you look at the things you loved by then, my brother here was talking about his past. All of us, we have some past. But today when he remembered that, when I remember what I did, I hate it. I don't like it. And this is what Jesus is doing. And when we look at that with abhorrence, a sense of the infinite sacrifice made for its cure, humbles us in our own sight and fills our hearts with gratitude and praise which those who have never fallen cannot appreciate. They love much because they have been forgiven much. Having been partakers of Christ's sufferings, they are fitted to be partakers with him of his glory. And last, last, He is giving them now to be holy as their Father of heaven is holy. In the book of John, in the book of John, in the book of John, one twelve, and that will be my last verse today. In the book of John, Book of John one twelve. John one twelve. This is how he reads. But though but but as many as received him. To them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In the book of Christ's Object Lesson 314 and 315, they say this power is not in the human agent. It is the power of God. When a soul receives Christ, He receives power to live the life of Christ. If Christ is holy, his people will stand one day holy before his Father. God requires perfection of his children. His law is a transcript of his own character, and it is the standard of all And this is the picture that Jesus saw before he gave himself for you and for me. He saw that one day you can stand looking exactly like him, ruling with him in eternal kingdom. After a thousand years, after we had spent thousand years in heaven when Jesus comes we will come back to this planet again and the new Jerusalem will come down he will land somewhere in Middle East on the same mountain where Jesus left when he ascended to heaven and in a season of us enjoying in the city, the coronation of Jesus will take place when two distinct groups will be watching. The group of the wicked outside the city and the group of the saints 
inside the city. This is the only time that anyone who ever lived in this planet in all generations will be alive. This is the only time we are going to see each other, the wicked outside and the saints inside, because after a few, I don't know, hours or years, I don't know, we are going to be separated and we will never see them again. This is the time our last tears will be spent because some of our friends will be outside. We will see them looking horrible because we have already forgotten after spending thousand years in heaven, we have grown up to the stature that God intended human family to be. And we are looking outside, we see these wretched people who refused to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Can you imagine? The only reason of that distinction is the choice we make. And I want to tell you, it's not going to happen in one day. It's the choice we are making in every single day we live. Every time the sun comes up and the sun sets, you are making choice. And I'm making choice. When combined together, these choices we make every day, they are going to determine which side we will be in that day. But Jesus has already said what he sees in you is a potential that you can be holy as himself. Please take a chance to be holy. May God bless you and may God help us to take advantage of this precious sacrifice. This is my humble prayer and thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And now, Lord, as we part from this building and not from your presence, be with us again in the life of the name you have given us to be called by your name. Help us to see what you have seen in us and help us to pursue the goal that you have set ahead of us, one day to become like you, standing with our spot before you in the throne of eternal. Be with your people now, Lord, as we go home, and be with us this coming week. Lead us in our homes, in our workplaces, to be light, and all that see us to know that we are called by your name. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.